Good morning, Maple Grove. All right, that's pretty good. I'll take it. I want to start off our time together reading uh, several passages of Scripture, and this is like my favorite way to begin a conversation. You may, you may have caught the theme of our songs, God's Name, and uh, these are Scriptures that speak about God's Name. I'm just going to go right through them. Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 52, 9, for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will put my hope, someone say hope, I will put my hope in your name, for your name is good. Psalm 124, verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the arms of Israel, whom you have defied. Jeremiah 10, verse 6, no one is like you, Lord. You're great and your name is mighty in power. Luke 1, 49, this is Mary's song. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Philippians 2, 9 and 10, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Heavenly Father, we we come here this morning, God, and we just want to worship you, God. We want, to, we want to praise your holy name. And God, I pray that as we gather, as we lean into your word this morning, help us to breathe out any distraction. Father, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit among us to open up our hearts and minds uh, to the truth of your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in this verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, the King and His Kingdom. And what we're currently doing, we're doing a deep dive into the most well-known prayer in the world. A prayer that Jesus unveiled in His Kingdom Manifesto. A prayer that God's people have been praying for 2,000 years. A prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. Would you guys stand? We're going to see if we can get this right this week. Uh, some of you are, I'm confident in you. All right? Now, I messed up on, on, on the way I put my slides together, so your kingdom come is my line, all right? It, it should be down here. I kind of messed up on that. So you guys are going to start off reading that on the count of three, then I'll read here, and then, you got it? Got it? Yeah. All right, cool, cool. Uh, I'm in the way? <laughs> oh! I'm like that teacher... See, here, here, this goes down here. This is your line. One, two, three. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, you can take your seats, but bring them back. Whew, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> Some of you will catch up like 10 minutes ago. You'll say, wow, that was funny what he just said. Okay, uh, and so far we just looked at the first seven words. Our Father who art in the heavens, our. And understand, Jesus in that single word, calls us together and unleashes the power of our. Our speaks of our shared experience, our shared ownership. Our speaks of community, of relationship. Where me and my produces isolation and loneliness, our produces community and family. Our breaks down walls. Our creates community, diffuses conflict. Ours empowers God's dream for us to become reality. Our meets our innate needs to be known and to be accepted. Our is the key to no one doing life alone. Father, 
reminds us that even though God is the sovereign king of the universe, we can still approach him confidently because he is our father and we are his children. As John wrote, behold, what matter of love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Last week we looked at who art in the heavens. And listen, the word heaven is really plural. And yes, I know that the ESV, NLT, KJV, NKJV, NIV, HCSB, SB, and you name it, has the word heaven, not heavens. However, in the Greek, the original language, I'm going to show it to you, I'm going to prove it to you, right? Uranos, what does that word say there? Plural. It's plural, which is very significant because the Jews in Jesus' day had a concept of a first, second, and third heaven, right? First heaven would be the atmosphere, it's the air we breathe. The second heaven is where the stars and galaxies are. And the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. And listen, in those five words, who art in the heavens, Jesus proclaims God is great, God is near, and that there's more going on than our eyes can see. Our Father who art in the heavens. Seven powerful words. Words that give us peace, comfort, hope, and perspective. You know, this week I... I found myself praying those seven words. You know, I, I was uh, you know, anxious about the hurricane barreling down towards a home we own in Brandon, Florida. Uh, I've been anxious about my dog all week long, and I found myself just praying with my breathing. Our Father, who art in the heavens, our Father, who art in our heavens, reminding me that I'm not alone, reminding me that my dad is the sovereign in the universe, reminding me that God is great, God is near, and that there's more going on than my eyes can actually see. Amen? It helped. I suggest you, if you're stressed out, man, just slow down your breathing and just pray that sometime to remind yourself of those great truths. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the next four words in this prayer. Hallowed be your name. Understand the Bible there are many names for God, and each name speaks to a different aspect of his perfect character. In Genesis 1, God is called Elohim. And this is a plural word that emphasizes the majesty, power, and glory of God. Elohim is the mighty creator God. God is also called El Elyon, God most high. This means he's a God who is high and exalted, that he can do great things. David cried out, I cry out to God most high who fulfills his purposes for me. And listen, when everything in your life is out of order and out of control, you can cry out to God most high. Amen? And in Psalm 91 verse 1, the psalmist urges us to rest in the shadow of El Shaddai, a name that speaks to God's strength. Understand, even when you have no strength, even though you have exhausted all your resources, God is still El Shaddai. In Genesis 16, God is called El Roy, the God who sees. Listen, even when you feel alone, even when you feel like no one cares and no one notices, God sees. And Yahweh is the most sacred name of God. It speaks of God's self-existence. I am who I am, is what God said to Moses in the burning bush. Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh is our peace. Yahweh Rapha. God is our healer. Yahweh Jair, the Lord will provide. And those are just some of the names that we see in Scripture. Pretty awesome and comforting stuff. And here's the deal. God is very serious about his name. In fact, one of the commandments that Moses brought down from Thunder and Mount Sinai was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And listen, this goes so much deeper than using God's name uh, when we're cussing, right? So much deeper than that. We're going to see that this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Question, why is God so sensitive about his name? We're kind of sensitive too, right? Do you like when people mispronounce your name? <laughs> you know, why is God so sensitive about his name? Well, because in Scripture, a name is such more than an identifying tag that we wear. 
You see, in Scripture, a name represents three things. Reputation, character, and authority. Understand, when someone has a good reputation, we say he has what? He's got a good name. Uh, When they have a bad reputation, we say he has what? He has a bad name. And listen, when I say name, you automatically think of that person's reputation. For example, what do these names bring to your mind? Adolf Hitler, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, John F. Kennedy, Judas, Ted Bundy, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, George Washington. A name also represents character. You see, in Bible times, when parents picked out a name, they didn't go to a bookstore to pick out the coolest and most trendy name. Each name had a special meaning. Jacob was so named because he had his hand on his brother's heel when he was born, and Jacob means one who grasps the heel. Joseph's firstborn son's name was Manasseh because God had helped him forget all the pain of his past. Manasseh means forget. Samuel name means ask of God because his mother Hannah had asked for him. And listen, here's the deal. Who you are, your character cannot be separated from your name once the two things have been tied together. And that's why many times in the Bible, when somebody changed their character, when their life had changed, God gave them a new name. Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. You see, God changed their names because their character had changed. A name also represents authority. Uh, When a police officer stops you, he doesn't say, stop in the name of Mickey Mouse, right? He doesn't say that. He says, stop in the name of the law. Why? Because there's authority behind that name. If you've received a call from Laurie Malone while you're eating dinner later today, you might have her call you back later. But if the name of the person calling you was Joe Biden, whether you voted for him or not, you would probably pick up the phone right then and there. Again, names represent authority. And our Father is the ultimate authority. So Jesus says that we're to pray that God's name, that his character, that his reputation, that his authority would be hallowed. Now, hallowed is not a word that we use in our day. It means to attach appropriate value to something, to, to give something the honor that it's due, to recognize the worth of something. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name receive the honor that it deserves. May your righteous character be seen in this world so that men and women will respect who you really are and may they come to recognize your authority in all things. Okay, so we're to hollow God's name, but how do we actually do it? I mean, it's one thing to pray these words. But what is your role in mind in ensuring that God's name is hallowed, holy, set apart, honored, and respected in this world? I think it's just three ways that you and I as God's people, hallow his name. We hallow his name when we gather in worship, like we just did, right? I don't about you, throughout the week, I don't stand up and sing praises with lifted hands anybody else, anywhere else, right? Like, this is the only place I, which is kind of crazy, you know, right? The world, look at that's kind of nuts. We gather in this room, and we sing to a guy we cannot see, right? Lift our hands to a guy we cannot see. And, and, and we're praising God for who he is. Another way that we hallow God's name is when we strive to understand more fully who God is as revealed in Scripture. And when we pursue holiness and strive to live a life that reflects his character. A guy by the name of Martin Luther had this to say about hallowing God's name. He says, God's name is kept holy when his word is taught in its truth and purity. And when we as children of God lead holy lives according to it. God's name is kept holy when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and when we as children of God lead holy lives according to it. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about, our need to pursue holiness so that we can be people who hallow the name of God. But before we go there, I have a brief commercial break. Um, Next week, we're doing Starting Point. And, and this is something we did, you know, um, BCP, before 
COVID pandemic, right? You know, we'd have these luncheons, people have been visiting Maple Grove. Hey, here we are, eat some food. These are leaders, these are staff, yay. We're gonna have a membership class in a few weeks, right? Well, that was two years and seven months ago, right? And, and so what this is for, if you've been hanging around Maple, Maple Grove for a while, it, it's a free lunch where you can meet some of the leaders, right? And, and then um, ask a few questions, but not a whole lot because we're gonna be out with, under an hour, right? And, and then I'm putting together a, a video. Um, it's gonna be produced by some really famous people, me, myself and I, right, on my computer thing. So it's going to be a mess, but that's, that's the best I can do. And, and uh, to talk about, hey, who we are, what we believe, what our vision is, and what it means to be a member. You watch that video, gather some questions, if you have any, say, Steve, I'd like to talk about becoming a member. Uh, I'm also, I'm designating uh, the last Sunday in October kind of as membership Sunday. So if you want to join, that'd be the day to do it. And I'm asking those who our members are kind of re-up, right? Because I, I think COVID has kind of, it, I'm done with it, right? But it, it kind of got, got us off track. So, hey, you know what? The world is still lost. People without Jesus are still dying and going to hell. There's hurting people that need hope, and we need to get back to business, right? And so, encourage you to do that, all right? A- another commercial break. I love fourth quarter comebacks, and I'm not going to talk about one that I'm not going to talk about, but you know what I'm thinking about, but I'm not going to say it. Super Bowl 51. But anyhow, two weeks ago, um, the Miami Dolphins made an incredible fourth quarter comeback. Uh, there was 13, 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You know, um, they were down 35 to 14. Most people, like the Dolphins, had turned it off at halftime and said, the game is over, and lo and behold, the final score was 42 to 38. They scored four touchdowns in the final 13 minutes of the game. And, and, and winning that game, I think, empowered them, right? They, next week, they go back after that, and they beat the Buffalo Bills, right? Everyone has crowned them as the best team in the NFL. The Dolphins said, not so quickly, right? And, and so, you know, and, and the Dolphins weren't like, well, you know, it's the fourth quarter. We're losing. Let's wait to next week, right? No, hey, you know what? There's still some ticks left on the clock. With that in mind, some folks are going to help me pass this out, right? Would you help me pass these out, John? And Joe, Joe, Mike. Come on, good looking. I mean, it's hard to, you can't can't fight facts, okay? And, 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 And here's what this thing is, right? You know, we're in the fourth quarter of the year 2022. And, 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 you know, do you want to finish this quarter strong in the Lord? Or do you want to coach like, what? You know what? I messed up this year. I'll wait till January 1st. Hey, you may not make it to January 1st, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, so uh, I know I shouldn't have said that. Okay. But what this is, is like, if you want your fourth quarter of this year to be your best quarter, I want to encourage you to either start doing these things that God has already asked you to do. I'm not making this up. Or continue doing these things, but do so to a greater degree. And here it is. And this is just for you. You're not going to sign it. You're not going to turn it in. All right? These are things that God asks you to do. And I'll just read it real quickly. Um, read your Bible on a regular basis. Are you, going to, are you going to do that or do it more? Or are you going to say, no, what, God, I don't, I don't think so. I don't want to. Um, uh, pray to, uh, for, uh, pretend that Bell's not there, uh, pray to our Father on a regular basis. Um, at each of those two kiosks, I have a little, a little half sheet of paper uh, about praying the Lord's Prayer. I integrated the Lord's Prayer and the Acts of Prayer together. You can pick one of those up and it'll help you pray to our Father. Um, give a generous percentage of your income to His church, right? Or you say, yeah, no, I'm going I'm to pass on that one. Um, serve in the church. And I backed all these up with Scripture. Um, uh, attend church regularly, uh, show compassion to the hurting in this world, which you can do um, in two weeks as we do Compassion Sunday. And I would just encourage you, right? I mean, sometimes like we have these great goals in January 1 and we crash and burn and we go, well, you know what? I'm going to keep eating all I want and then January 1st, I'll start eating properly, right? Well, I, I say start now. You know, finish strong the fourth quarter of this year and see what God can do in your life. And this is between you and God and you pray about it and say, God, do you want me to read my Bible more? 
I think we know what he'll say, right? Uh, do you want me to serve in your church or just sit on the sidelines and criticize everyone who is serving, right? You know, and, and so I encourage you to do that. And what we're going to do right now um, is we're going to take two, welcome those around you, um, and uh, you're all nice people. <laughs> all right, good job. Hey, I know we already prayed, but uh, um, I actually thought about bringing some steel-toed boots to bring up here today. Um, because I think the Holy Spirit's fixing on stomping on our toes today as we talk about pursuing holiness. And so uh, I just want to encourage you. Um, we're going to pray again with open palms, just uh, symbolic. We're ready to receive from God. Um, Father, we come into your presence. We ask you to be with us. God, we, for years we have said those four words, hallowed be your name. But God, today we want to begin, really pursue living out those words. In Jesus' name, amen. Question. Uh, what thoughts immediately come into your mind when you think of someone pursuing holiness? Uh, I mean, if you told your, your non-believing friends or even your Christian friends that you were going to get ready and start getting really serious about pursuing holiness, what do you think they were, would believe you're getting ready to do? Yeah, they would probably think that you were getting ready to send all the fun in your life an eviction notice, right? And become a very... Not so fun person to be around. Understand pursuing holiness for some Jesus followers is to often become nothing more than a bunch of knots. Not drinking, not smoking, not going to parties, not watching certain movies, not getting a tattoo, not cussing. At least not out loud where people can hear you. But listen, the truth is we can be very good, we can be very proficient at all the knots and still not be holy. In fact, there were a group of guys in Jesus' day who were very skilled at the knots and were still not holy. They were called the Pharisees. And I think when it comes to holiness by the knots, God would say, yes, I'm glad that you're not getting drunk and not looking at pornography. But let me ask you, do you forgive those who hurt you? Are you humble, gentle, and kind? Are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Do you love your enemies? Are you patient with those who frustrate you? Do you put the needs of others before your own? Now, when it comes to pursuing holiness in the church, I think one or two things have happened. We've either pursued holiness in the wrong way and have become legalistic and self-righteous, you know, holiness by checklist, or we don't really think about holiness or even pursue it at all. I mean, it's like we believe that because we're saved by grace, that pursuing holiness no longer applies. That obedience to God's word and God's command no longer really matters. Sure, the Bible says we're to live in a certain way, but hey, we can't be perfect. And besides, it doesn't really matter because we're saved by grace. Yet we read in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Again, the word holy means separated, separate, set apart, God-likeness, Christ-likeness, a life lived differently than the world around us. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, understand, holiness is a huge topic. I mean, throughout both the Old and New Testament, we see the word holy or holiness uh, over 600 times. So this is not a, a trivial or obscure issue. And also, listen, because the Bible says so much about it, there's no way that I can say all there is to say about pursuing holiness in our time this morning. But I do want to accomplish two things. Number one, I want to get you and I to start thinking about personal holiness. And listen, that goal is already being accomplished, right? Because if you're not thinking about personal holiness before you walk through those doors, you are now. 
And number two, I, I want to motivate every Jesus follower in this room, including me, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, to begin to, the journey of pursuing a personal, practical, progressive holiness. Personal because it's in our own lives. Practical because we're actually doing something, living a certain way, like it's visible in our attitudes, actions, and behaviors. And progressive, we're growing and maturing in our Christ-likeness step by step and day by day. And listen, a personal, practical holiness is one of the reasons God saved you. Yes, God saved us because he loved us. Yes, he saved us for his glory. Yet Ephesians 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Understand, Christianity is not just what Christ has saved us from, but what he has saved us to. And he saved us to become a holy people. Get it? Good. <laughs> he tried, man. Don't take to us, bro. Give me some amen. He's, I just got the right time. Hey, dude, that wasn't the right time. <laughs> I love my brother. That's hilarious. Anyhow, if you missed that, Michael will tell you later. Um, and I don't want to accomplish this goal by unpacking a few statements that I hope will answer some of the questions we have. What pursuing holiness is not, why we must pursue holiness, what pursuing holiness looks like, and how do we pursue holiness. Now, around 1 p.m. yesterday, I discovered that, you know what, if I'm going to do these statements justice, I can only do two of them today and two of them next week, right? Okay. Um, what pursuing holiness is not. First, it is not an option for God's people. It never has been. Understand, God has always called his people to live distinct lives, separate lives, holy lives. I mean, anyone who spent even a little time in Scripture will see rather quickly that God has always called his people to swim upstream, to go against the flow, to cut against the grain, to be different, distinct, and set apart from the world. In Genesis 6 through 9, God calls a man named Noah to build an ark to save his family from a worldwide flood. Why? Because Noah was righteous and the world was evil. In 2000 BC, God called Abraham to leave his homeland, his gods, and become the father of a new nation. And understand, everything about this new nation was to be separate in regard to the world. Diet, dress, worship, lifestyle. And check out what God told Moses to say to his people shortly after their deliverance. Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is where you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and where you're to tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. In other words, Israel, my people, you have, you have seen my power. You have experienced my deliverance. Now I want you to live for me. And Peter says this to us in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Brothers and sisters, we must be holy, set apart, separate, God-like, cross-like. We must live lives that are noticeably different than the world around us. It's not an option. Get it? Good. Next, pursuing holiness is, is not the means to our salvation. I think sometimes we don't pursue holiness because we think that in some way pursuing holiness will kind of undermine God's grace. Like we're saved by grace, not by works. But understand, the grace that saved a wretch like me is the grace that is intended to transform a wretch like me. Amen? Amen. And I really like how the writer Hebrew words it. For by one sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
In other words, when we surrender to Christ's once and for all sacrifice through faith, repentance, and baptism, we are viewed as perfect in God's sight. And listen, once we are perfect in God's sight, then we begin to live a life of personal, practical, progressive holiness. But understand, it's our position in Christ that enables us to begin to live like Christ. It's, position, it's our position in Christ that enables us to begin to live like Christ. Get it? Okay. Phew, you got it. That's great. I'll take it. Next, pursuing holiness is not mere rule keeping. And, and that word mere is critical. Because pursuing holiness is never less than obeying God's commands. After all, Jesus did not say, if you love me, you'll give up on rules and commands and do whatever feels right. Instead, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But like I already said, it's all too easy to turn the fight of faith into holiness by checklists. Where we simply take care of a few bad habits, uh, we develop a few good habits, and we slap ourselves on the back, we give ourselves some high fives, and we feel, hey, we're all set. We're good to go. However, the problem with this approach is, number one, it, it usually doesn't take into consideration the condition of our heart. What Jesus says is what defiles us. You see, holiness by checklist is usually about checking off a bunch of externals. You know, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was a bunch of externals. But Jesus says we must exceed that. And number two, holiness by checklist is very selective. I really like what a guy named Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, The Whole Inner Holiness filling the gap between gospel passion and the pursuit of godliness. It's a good book. I've been reading it this week. And here's what he writes about this selective checklist holiness. He says, so you end up feeling successful, right? That's sanctification because you stayed away from drugs, lost weight, served at a soup kitchen, and renounced styrofoam, <laughs> But you ignore gentleness, humility, joy, and sexual purity. God has not really gotten to your heart. You see, we can end up keeping our own very selective checklist, mine's different than yours, while ignoring the weightier matters like love and gentleness, humility, joy, mercy, forgiveness, grace, kindness, compassion, and justice. Next, pursuing holiness is not the way of the world. I understand we'll never make progress in pursuing holiness if we're waiting for the world to throw a party in honor of this pursuit. And when, when I use the word, the word world, I'm not talking about the people around us. I'm talking about the worldly system that opposes the will of God. Think of it this way. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness looks strange. Amen. Isaiah writes, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. I mean, does that describe our culture? Right? I'll tell you what, if you begin living a holy life, you will, not look, nor, you will look strange to this world. And that's okay, because this world is not our home. Listen, worldliness is a serious problem. In fact, the Bible says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, Christians in the past used to talk a lot more about worldliness, and they, they feared worldliness creeping in and its influence. Today, however, if you talk about dressing in a worldly way or spending your money in a worldly way or seeking worldly entertainment, you're bound to see some eyes rolling and hear some muffled laughter. Kevin DeYoung writes this, so good. Worldliness is what our grandparents were uptight about. <laughs> but we have a planet to save and no time to concern ourselves with such trivialities. We simply don't believe that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Many Christians have the mistaken notion that if only we were better Christians, everyone would appreciate us. They don't realize that holiness comes with a cost. 
Sure, you can focus on the virtues that the world likes, but if you pursue true religion that cares for widows and orphans and promotes purity, James 1, 27, you'll lose some of the friends you were so desperate to make. He continues, becoming a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, requires you resist the world which wants to press you into its mold. He continues, saving yourself for marriage, staying sober on Friday night, turning down a promotion to stay at church, refusing to say the F word. These are the kind of things the world doesn't understand. Don't expect them to. I love this here. The world provides no cheerleaders on the pathway to godliness. The world provides no cheerleaders on the pathway to godliness, end quote. In fact, I would say they provide the exact opposite. People will discourage you. People will sidetrack you. People who will label you. Next, pursuing holiness is not about separating ourselves from the world. You know, hunkering down in our little Christian fortresses, joining hands and singing kumbaya together. In my opinion, that's happened way too much in the church. Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, when I wrote to you, I told you not to associate people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. Apparently they got that, okay, Paul, those unbelievers, they're, they're so sexually immoral. We're not going to hang around them. He goes, that's not what I was talking about. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. See, those who live in his kingdom are to be Salt and light in a world of darkness and decay. See, God wants you and I to take our holiness into the darkness, not hide it away in some Christian mountain fortress. Pursuing holiness is not an option for God's people. It's not a means to our salvation. It's not going to make you more saved. It's not mere rule keeping. It's not the way of the world. Don't expect them to applaud you. Oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, wonderful. Um, And it's not about separating ourselves from the world. Why must we pursue holiness? And we like why, right? I mean, when someone asks you to do something, not do something, we want to know why. Even at an early age, we want to know why, right? Don't stick your fork in the light socket. Why? Don't ride your bike in the street. Why? Wash your hands before you eat. Why? Don't throw your little brother down the stairs. Why? You need to go to bed. Why? You can't date until you're 16. Why? Don't pee in the neighbor's front yard. Why? Because everyone knows you're supposed to pee in the backyard where no one can see you. <laughs> and I don't think we ever grow out of that, right? When, when, when someone asks you to do something or not do something, we want to know why. And I I just want to, in keeping with that innate desire to know why, give you some reasons why you should choose to hallow God's name by pursuing personal holiness. Number one, because you love God. Has anyone ever asked you to do something for them? And one of the main reasons you did it for them was because you love them? Sure, right? I, I mean, if my wife asked me, to go to Walmart, to get her something at 2 a.m. in the morning, I would probably do it. Why? Because I love her. And if you call me at 2 a.m. in the morning, sorry, I don't love you that much, right? <laughs> do you love God? Well, God has commanded you over 30 times in Scripture to be holy. And as Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We also must pursue holiness because we do not want the way we live to bring dishonor to God's name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold guiltless the one who takes his name in vain. And check out what God said to his people who were exiled. After God allowed the Babylonians to crush the Jewish nation because they had taken God's name in vain. Here's what God says in Ezekiel 36, verse 16. Says the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, while the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it 
with their conduct and their actions. Then Ezekiel says, because of that, God punished them, sent them into exile because they dishonored his name. Verse 21, I was concerned about my holy name, which has been dishonored by my people throughout the world. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back again, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name, which you dishonored while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name you dishonored among the nations. God said that the Israelites had dishonored his name everywhere they went. How? By claiming to be God's chosen people, yet living in a way that was contrary to who God had called them to be. And because of this, the nations around them did not respect or honor God's name. The way they acted reflected on God. When I was in the military, I remember pulling into um, a couple different ports, and they would always tell us, when you go out there, you are representing the United States of America. And the way you act in Lisbon, Portugal, the way you act in England is a reflection, not just on you, not just on the military, it's a reflection on your country, right? And, and, and the way you and I act in the world, the way you act at work, the way you act when no one else is around, that's a reflection of your God. Do God's people ever dishonor his name today? Do we ever do the exact opposite of hallowing his name? Absolutely. Someone has rightly said this. Often we've cringed at unbelievers who use the name of God in expression of cursing, right? But, but how much more damage is done when a believer maligns God's name by his actions and attitudes? We are, we are unbeliever. Say GD, and we're like, I'm so offended by it. And we're mean and hateful at work. <laughs> I don't let people say God's name in vain around work, but yeah, I don't show up all the time. I gossip about people, but who's doing more damage? Who's doing more damage? See, as Christians, we wear God's name. And I admit, when I was overseas, and I was kind of proud to represent my country. Yeah, I'm an American. I'm an American. I mean, we should be proud that God allows us to wear his name. And when we take his name and live against that name, we dishonor him. And as a guy named Carl, Carl Rauner wrote in the Wittenberg door, the, the results are even more far-reaching than that. Here's what he wrote years ago. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. Those who proclaim Christ with their mouths and deny him with their lifestyles is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. Those who proclaim Christ with their mouths and deny him with their lifestyles is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Paul said the same thing in Titus 1 verse 16. They claim to know God. He was preaching a sermon about God on Sunday, lifting his hand in worship on God on Sunday. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And here's the deal. Whenever we live out our lives in a way that is not Christ-like, we are not hallowing our Father's name. Get it? Good. I understand. After praying, our Father who art in the heavens, Jesus wants us to pray, hallowed be your name, to remind us that, that God is holy, to remind us that he is holy and he's called us to be holy. He's called us to be different. So that his name will be honored upon this earth. Amen? How are your toes? Next, we must pursue holiness because it's absolutely possible. Right? Like, why would God call us to do something that we cannot do without his help? Wait, what? Is something going on? Did I? Okay. Okay, sorry. No, you got to look at your face like, oh my gosh, you get a call from the vet. It's like, no, don't tell me. Okay. 
Oh, no, you're, I'm sorry. I apologize, everybody. I'm paranoid. I see her face like she got, she left a little while ago. She got a call and, oh, okay. I know. Uh, I apologize. Hey, solids. Okay, next we must pursue holiness. Hey, I'm real. That's all I can be uh, because it's absolutely possible. Listen, God would not ask you and I to do something that we could not do without his help. Amen? He doesn't say, be holy. Good luck. <laughs> no. On October 28th, 2010, I, I'm a person who remembers dates. God gave me a powerful analogy that I've never forgotten. I, I just fixed my morning coffee, dumped in my sugar, put in what I call girly creamer, and sat down to drink it. It was nasty. You know what the problem was? What didn't I do? I didn't stir it. Like, like all the ingredients were there. And I forgot to stir it. And I go, oh, okay. I think that's what Peter was talking about. See, as a preacher, you spiritualize, right? <laughs> Certain illustrations are everywhere, right? And here's what Peter said. By his divine power, God is giving us everything we need for living a godly life. We receive all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, everything we need right? Everything we need when we come to Christ in faith, repentance, and baptized, Holy Spirit lives in us. We have everything we need to live a godly life. What we need to do is we need to stir it up, you know? And how do we stir it up? You know, that's going to be next week, you know? But how do we stir it up? How do we stir it up? We must pursue holiness because we love God. Because we don't want the way we live to bring dishonor to God's name. Wouldn't that just hurt you? If God ever said, man, you know, Steve, the way you're living, your attitudes, I feel so dishonored. And the people that encounter you at different places, they have a much lower opinion of who I am, Steve, because of you. Man, that, that would crush me. Because we love God, we don't want to dishonor his name because it's possible and because holiness is life in all its fullness. And I understand, a holy, set-apart, distinct, God-honoring life, a life of a personal, practical holiness is the life you were created for. It's who you really are. It's who God intends for you to be. It's as Paul writes to Timothy, it is taking hold of life. That is truly life. See, God did not make you be unholy. He made you be holy. That's who you are. And finally, and it's a real finally, we must pursue holiness because it brings glory to God. See, when we're holy, when we live lives, when, we're ho when we are holy, when we live the lives were created to live, it brings glory to God. And bringing God glory is why we were created. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It is I who created them. And how does living a life of holiness bring glory to God? Understand, our personal, practical, progressive holiness Reveals to the world what God is like and how life can be lived. Oh, that's who God is? And that's the kind of life I can live? I, I didn't know I could live a life like that. I didn't know I could have a family like that. I didn't know I could have a marriage like that. I didn't know I could handle hard times like that. I didn't know I could overcome difficulties like that. I didn't know I could rebound from my own failures like that. And so just as the heavens declare God's glory, so can our lives. Just as when you are on the beach and you see that sunrise, man, you're thinking of God, right? 
You see that starlit sky at night? You're thinking of God, right? Man, God is powerful. He's great. Well, God wants to put our lives on display. Then, Hey, God is great. And he moves among his people. Yes, brothers and sisters, a holy God sets us apart to live in a way that reflects, however imperfectly, his holiness. I'm going to say that again. Our holy God sets us apart to live in a way that reflects, however imperfectly, his holiness. And you know, when you think about it, it's one of the great mysteries of God that that he's allowed the holiness of his name on earth to be bound up in the character and context of his people, of people like you and I. Like, why would he do that? But he has. But how awesome that you and I by the way we live out our lives, can play a part in seeing that the name of our great and near God is hallowed on this earth. Amen? Amen. Hallowed be your name. Now, we're going to sing a song as we prepare for communion. Um, and, And I tell you, One thing God doesn't want to happen when we talk about, you know, a topic that can make us feel not so holy is to think that it's a done deal, right? (laughs) You know, our God is a God of grace, a God of the do-over, a God who's always in a hurry to forgive. But I just want to encourage you, you know, as you go live out your life this week, you know, that you have an opportunity to reflect the character of God so that people will respect and honor his name. When you go to work, you go to school, when you're in a restaurant, you're at a grocery store, you're in your own homes, you're in your own marriages, with your own family, that you can reflect, hey, this is what God is like, and this is what God can do in our lives. And so um, next week, two more statements. It's a good thing I didn't try to do all four this week, right? I'm kind of learning rather than you know, slamming my thing down at the end to say, hey, it's not going to make it. But I really want to encourage you, hey, don't forget the fourth quarter. That's one good way to make sure that you're living a life and pursuing holiness, reading your Bible, praying. That last one was really good. And if you look at it, where you, you, know, you know, evaluate your life and take away what shouldn't be there and put in there what should be there, right? And again, if you do those things, right? Again, it's, it's personal, practical, and progressive. As I like to say, God, God does not, God is looking for progress, not perfection, right? You know, are we making progress day by day to be more like him? And he's going to help us. If you guys would stand. And, and, uh, if you have not picked up your communion, it's over at the various stations. Um, that's where we also have our, our um, boxes that you can drop in your offering. Father God, we love you. And God, I just pray you be with us. Father, right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would stir your Holy Spirit in us. To take a deep look at our own hearts and lives. If there's something that needs to be removed, give us the courage to remove it. If there's something we need to put on, help us to put it on. And God, help us to be encouraged this week that we can, with your help, live a life that causes men throughout this earth to hallow your name. In Jesus' name, amen.